0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 130 with Lynn Hastings and Caitlin Lowens of TheatreWorks Colorado Springs. We chat about their upcoming season and the strides they've made in terms of adding inclusive language to their audition notices and casting practices. This is a really great interview, y'all. I think you're going to really enjoy it. If you're listening to this uh, before the end of May, please consider donating to Hoops of Steel, which is the queer reimagining of the Ophelia narrative from Hamlet that Jules, Mirtha, and I have written. For only ten bucks, you get the digital download of the album, and it's uh, pretty great. It's pretty great. We've loved working on the songs, and they sound Wes Halloran, who engineered the album did an incredible job. Everything sounds great. So, without further ado, please enjoy episode 130 with Lynn Hastings and Caitlin Lowens. All right, I am sitting in the gorgeous lobby of TheatreWorks Colorado Springs, and I'm sitting here with Caitlin Lowens and Lynn Hastings. Welcome to the podcast, y'all. Thank
1: you for having us. I'm excited to be here.
0: You, so to kick us off, can y'all tell our listeners what your role is with this organization and how long you've been in the role? Go for it. I'm Caitlin. I'm the Artistic Director of Theatre Works Colorado Springs,
2: <laughs> and I have been in this role since August of 2018.
0: Okay, can we have a one-year anniversary?
2: Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, wow. wow yeah. We are. <laughs> Whoa. <it's laughs> Nine months.
0: You can't say eight anymore. Okay, no. <laughs>
2: That, mix that going from
0: two-thirds to
1: like three-quarters oh. is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then what do and you what do, you do here? I'm Lynn Hastings and I'm artistic producer for Theater Works Colorado Springs. And I've been here since December of 2017. Okay, Yeah. cool,
0: cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So can y'all give me a little bit of the history before we get to your Inside the Actors Studio <laughs> professional journey? Um, A little bit of the history of this gorgeous space. This space is absolutely not much
1: history to this space because it's pretty freaking new. It's it's only been open since February of 2018, so there's not a whole lot of history behind this building, except maybe the planning of this building that has more history than the doors have been open. But uh, Murray Ross, the founding artistic director for Theater Works. Pam Shockley Zalabak, who's the former chancellor of the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs and a lot of community members had planned this space since about 2015, I think is when they really started talking about it. Um, And it fell in line with COPR, the cultural office of the Pikes Peak region's cultural planning was a 10 year plan. And they wanted to find a venue or I shouldn't say find, but create a venue that fell somewhere between like Art Space, which is the Dusty Lou Bonavant, bon, which is 200, 250, 280 flex seating. And the Pikes Peak Center, which is like a couple thousand or 1,400, if right. I remember correctly. And so our Shockley Zalabak Theater falls in between that. And so they've decided, well, hey, let's put the Dusty Lou in there. And let's put the Gallery of Contemporary Art. And let's put the Visual and Performing Arts Department all in this great performing arts um, building so that people can come to one place and and experience many things and so that's kind of the history so pam and murray were were the ones who spearheaded uh getting this building built and unfortunately murray passed away before the doors officially opened officially but he was around uh, with the groundbreaking and most of the construction but it's a real shame that he did not get a chance to walk through the floors of this building completed
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for the overview. And can we talk about the, the role of artistic producer? Because I'm i a bit of an arts admin nerd, and especially theater. i have half an MFA in arts administration. That was the one that didn't pan out. Uh, but <laughs> how did y'all come to the conclusion that you needed an artistic producer as well as an artistic director? Because I feel like that's kind of unique. I've heard like executive art, or I think with CSF, it's like producing artistic director, but I have not heard artistic producer before.
1: Well, necessity is the mother of invention <laughs> um, when it comes to this particular role. I stumbled into this role after working in corporate America for 20 years. Really? And being an actor on Theatre Works' stage since, but for 20 years, too. And so I was laid off of my corporate position, and I was a board member for Theatre Works, and I had been talking to a fellow board member about the fact I'd just gotten laid off. And so I got a call from Drew Mortarella, who's the executive director for the Amp Center of the Arts and UCCS Presents, saying um, Murray had passed away. We had gone through an artistic director search. We made an offer. We were turned down eventually. So there was nobody else in that pool that we wanted to talk to or extend an offer to. So we decided to just fail it, start all over again. Well, this building was opening in a couple of months. Right. So Drew said to me, I just don't have the capacity to run theater works um, in Murray's absence and a lack of um, any kind of artistic leadership. And he said, would you be willing to come fill in until we find an artistic director? We'll see if you like it. We'll see if we, we like you. And maybe we'll turn it into something a little bit um, more long-term. And so artistic producer was the title I was giving because it. it was just like handle the day-to-day operations, just keep this – keep the boat afloat until we get an artistic director. And I did some of the artistic things like helping with the season, but really it's more about just that admin um, production support, really.
0: Which is artistic in and of itself. I think Mm -hmm. folks don't, respect and value that mm-hmm. enough. But I think, enter stage left, Caitlin. Uh, so how did you come to this role and what were you doing leading up to being artistic director here? So
2: immediately before being here, I, w- I was actually in graduate school as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was finishing up my MFA in directing at Northwestern in Chicago. And I was looking for the next thing and applying, I'm throwing my lines out all across the country and um, this is the place where things sort of went the furthest. And I came, and I, I remember the experience of being like, hmm, Colorado Springs, hmm. And then coming here for my interview weekend as one of the finalists for that second round that Lynn's talking about. And then coming back and saying to my partner, Ben, oh, I would really like them to pick me. <laughs> <laughs> I really. Um, and but before graduate school, I had spent. Um, sort of 12 years working in the field at a regional equity theater sort of rising up through the ranks there eventually becoming their director of education and their associate artistic director so I had that sort of experience within a regional theater organization and I actually went to graduate school in part because I had no previous formal training in theater so I wanted to get that and have that time to think about my craft but also in part because I wanted I knew that I wanted artistic leadership and it seems like graduate school would be the next step to really help me think about how to, how to move from being the leader of a room as a director is to being the leader of an organization as an artistic director
1: is.
0: Absolutely. Mm. I want to talk, one of my favorite things about the work that y'all are doing is how I think a lot of folks... Talk about being inclusive but I feel that y'all <laughs> walk that walk and you put it into action especially with I think sometimes there's a disconnect between the description of what you're looking for in actors like there's always sort of that generic boilerplate like we're looking for everyone like everyone all ethnicities, races, <laughs> genders and then you look at the season you're like that's a bunch of cis thin able-bodied white people Hmm. Or folks without disabilities, depending yeah. on how you prefer yeah. to language that. Um, so what, one of the things I so loved about the character descriptions for Little Shop of Horrors, which is one of my very favorite musicals, is that gender was removed completely from them. And yet it still got the broad strokes of the heart of each of those characters. Can y'all talk about how you've gotten to this Point of describing the characters as you do? Is that really dependent director to director, or is that something that you're doing in collaboration with your marketing team, or how does that come about?
2: Um, so it started a little bit at, at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. when we first, when we did our first call and we did our little form, and we looked at the mm-hmm. form and it was like, oh, this form asks for sex. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah. like, a, why does that information need to be on there? B, like, why does that? It just asked for information that was unnecessary for, and was, and is also like off-putting and not welcoming, right? So we switched that language to language of having folks share their their pronouns instead, and then um, have had conversations over the course of the year about how to continue to sort of be not just that boilerplate language as you said, but be more more specific by being less specific. Yeah,
1: that's right. Just be more inclusive by not being so specific Mm -hmm. in, in, How we do everything really and I think it's just part of the evolution of this theater company the way the reason the forum looked like it was very interesting to have Caitlin who's coming from the Chicago area working in Chicago where they have this theater standards and you know she shared that with me where they're thinking very differently than you know we were as Colorado Springs having the same artistic director for 40 years and so record scratch 40 years yeah he was wow. the founding. so you know and it's okay. just part of the evolution when she comes in and she's like why are we asking this on the form you know and it's just like well we've always done it that way <laughs> you know it's just that response yeah. and it's just having Caitlin with a different perspective coming in and going we shouldn't do that
0: mm-hmm.
1: But you then, know if we're committed to this this is not a question that we should ask we should be asking what they want us to refer to them to who are they instead of us going define yourself to us.
2: And then it's everybody picking up the baton. That's right. right. So it's
1: having the conversations
2: with the directors mm-hmm. about hey this is actually how we want to okay. go. Yes. And Nathan the director for Little Shop delivers this delivers the casting breakdown and then it's actually like I strike out like the language about certain about Audrey's hair that Mm -hmm. suggests that she might need to be white and then Lynn strikes out mister in front of (laughs) Mushnik and and other language that suggests that that needs to be played by a male identified, you know, Mm -hmm. as a male identified character and it's Mm -hmm. about everybody sort of getting on board and and checking each other.
1: Well yeah absolutely and as an artist of color, it'd be wrong if I didn't walk the talk. Yeah, I mean, come on you know, I believe that everybody's story should be told, and everybody should have a seat at a table. And my kids should, should see people on stage who look like that. My kids are biracial. They should, they should be surrounded by these stories. And, then, and if I didn't advocate for that and make it more than just our blanket statement of, oh, we cast equally and everybody's welcome, we really have to put that into practice. I'd be doing a disservice to myself and who I am and my culture and the people who laid the path before me. Right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about resistance, and not
0: to name any certain names, but when you run into resistance, because I think a lot of times theaters are afraid to do things of this nature because they're afraid of resistance from artists, from patrons. Uh, What do you do with resistance when folks are like... No, you know, like, why, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do this? Like, why can't we... Classical casting, like, type is a thing. Like, there are rules that we have followed for years. How do y'all handle... Like, per, perhaps a good way to frame it is resistance on an institutional level and then when you're having, like, one-on-one conversations with folks. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So on an institutional level, I feel like institutionally... Actually, there's been a lot of support. Yes. Like people sort of, on, and maybe it's because we're in a university setting and the sure. university is very clear about its equity, diversity, and inclusion goals. So the idea that a theater housed within that university would actually, uh, as you were saying, like walk the talk mm-hmm. of those, of that mindset, isn't surprising. I think the conversation is more like either individual or around the edges, either from audiences mm-hmm. or from or from artist communities. Mm-hmm. So from the audience community, um, you know, it's balanced. We get just as many, mm-hmm. like our Christmas Carol.
0: With Lisa Volpe as Scrooge. Guess, yeah.
2: And also a really ethnically diverse cast as well. Right. And our current production of Little Shop of Horrors both had... Sort of what is often called non-traditional mm-hmm. or, or or diverse
0: casting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting how different folks language that. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. And like, I'm, you know, please more language,
0: better mm. language,
2: always. But like, our audience is actually en masse seemed really supportive of it, Absolutely. and like our survey comments about the like. Body di- body type diversity yes. in Little Shop. Audrey and... doesn't look
1: like Ellen Green. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's who people see when they think of Audrey from Little Shot. Right. Shop.
2: And people have been super excited about that. But then on the other hand, we're also in that season resubscription mm. per point, And there there have been a few folks, folks who are like, so I don't know. I just I just feel like there are just ways that these characters are, or mm-hmm. there's a certain realism that we're looking for in your life. This is a production of Christmas Carol in which we have puppets and <laughs> ghosts and people constantly turning to the audience and narrating a story. Realism is not something it's that. Tr- yeah, we're it's going a troop of
1: players. And, it's- and that's, it, it's not Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Screw, it's players telling the story of mm-hmm. Scrooge, is how I felt that was. So you could do whatever you want to. And why do you want to see the same thing on stage over and over again? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? We're supposed to be exploring. It's supposed to be about imagination. It's supposed to be about play. Right. You know? And yeah, we could tr- cast everything traditionally because that's how we view or that's how the person is. Maybe that's not who they are. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how they are for you because that's the only way you've ever seen them. Yeah. Right. And it gives lie
2: to this idea that like there is this sort of, you know, as lots of other people said, there's like this universal human or like Ooh. this one kind of default human Who is often a cisgender white male, on which on whom everyone is supposed to be able to see themselves in that person, but then any other any other kind of specific human is suddenly people feel shut out from Mm -hmm. that experience. Mm -hmm. So you're also and 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 so you're like, oh, but who you know? So basically, it's like everyone other that. That group is asked to be able to develop that empathetic muscle, where they understand the experience of another person, and they're able to build that empathetic intelligence, where they say, like, "Oh, you don't look like me or move through the world like me, but I am able to see myself in you and see your difference and hold both of those things." Then there's like one population of human that like has gotten to see themselves all the time, so they don't have to build that muscle and they don't have to see like how they could relate to it. How they could relate to someone else who looks different or moves through the world differently. And it's like, oh, yeah. I feel kind of sorry for you. Yeah, well,
1: like, <laughs> well, the thing of it right? is, <laughs> you know, part of the impetus for August Wilson to watch, write Fence is because he thought no black man would ever play Willie Logan. Yeah. Right. And it's, if you look at them, there's so many comparisons to Death right. of a Salesman. Absolutely. And he wanted to write that character mm-hmm. from a black perspective because he thought there's nobody in this world who will ever cast a black man as Willie mm-hmm. Logan. Mm-hmm. And this is a story that isn't just a white male's story, right? Of you know, dreams deferred. It's another way of you know, dreams deferred. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you, can I talk a little bit about by opening? Would you say that by have you seen a distinct impact or return on opening up the submission language for actors and then the folks that you're seeing submit their headshots and resumes? <laughs>
1: Well, I saw yours, and <laughs> you did not, you, you yeah. were, you wanted to the plant, or just the, 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 the dentist, the, yes. dentist. Yeah. the dentist, oh,
0: I had so much fun, yeah, I mean, like, and it's, In I'm so grateful for this, this community, because, or even just at the Arvada Center callbacks, being mm-hmm. called back for a male, female, yeah. and non-binary role within mm-hmm. the same season, yeah. like, it's, there's little, little, little things that are starting to shift. But what you were,
1: you were about to say. I would say Audrey Michelle, who plays our Audrey, initially submitted for the voice of Audrey too. So you know, I think that people probably are responding to our our character breakdowns and going, "Wow, I think they're saying I can submit for anything I want to." You know, because as <laughs> actors, we are trained to
0: not be. God help you. You know, right? Like from like day one in actor training you are taught not to be difficult right mm-hmm. like gosh gosh darn it help you if you are perceived as difficult especially if you're anything other than a white cis <laughs> male actor and so it's like how do you balance that wanting to honor the structures of power that exist mm-hmm. while at the same time advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think by removing a lot of the, you know, for lack of a better word, traditional descriptors mm-hmm. of these characters, but it's sort of like a new muscle for actors, I feel like, and maybe for directors a little bit too, because this, you know, this colonialism and, and patriarchy are so deeply embedded in the way that we perceive theatrical structure. But it's sort of cool to see, to hear feedback from y'all, that actors are giving themselves permission to see themselves in a different light because of the way that things are being written, yeah.
1: And Garrick's like, urchin! I'd love to do an urchin, that'd be great. Or Audrey too, (laughs) or whatever you want, I'm willing to do it.
2: (laughs) And I think it makes a different, the writing, like the, the, the message, the written message that's sent out in the world, but then also what happens when you come into a room. Like I'm thinking about the 80 days callback room, how, I didn't get to hang out in eighty days all that much because I was because I was doing my own callbacks mm-hmm. across the hall. But like a person who walked into that room saw that the two people behind the table making decisions were you as artistic producer and Lavina mm-hmm. as the director. Mm-hmm. Or the Gloria room where I was also in my own. <laughs> <callbacks> <laughs> you missed out the the two, <laughs> the two folks behind the table were you and Tasia. Mm-hmm. So it's also that story of like you know not only anybody can be the, the actor embodying this role but also everybody mm-hmm. lots of different people are going to be in charge of the process that's here. right
0: that's right
2: and,
1: and, and Regina commented on that in Facebook she said I just got back from a callback where the room um, in the room there were two women of color yes like yes and, and that's that's I hope that's just continues to grow. That becomes our reputation, yeah. you As, know? I'm walking into yeah. a room I've never been in before, and I'm telling everybody about this room because it's awesome. Exactly, <laughs> and I
0: think it's interesting, especially uh, the fact that OSF just named We're in a theater, friends. There's going to be all sorts of fun sounds that you hear. Welcome to the soundscape. Uh, We've done episodes outside before. There have been dogs. It's all great. Um, Like, so stoked that Nataki got the OSF gig. I would love both of you to answer the question, like, what do you think it does? We're going to wait a little bit because I want to be dramatic in this question as the cart rolls away. It's all staying in. Uh... (laughs) What do you think it does to the you know honestly just the energy the alchemy of the room when there aren't any white cis dudes there? when there are no white cis dudes in sight in terms of gate, artistic gatekeeping? I
1: felt, I felt like the actors that we saw in both Gloria and 80 Days maybe felt a little less judged especially those actors of color and our, our wonderful brilliant female act, artists who come in I think there's a sense of openness just walking into a room where you you know you might see someone who looks like you sitting behind the table right. or two or three um and just a room that you haven't been in before and there's like we were so relaxed they were relaxed and i think just walking in the room and going oh sister yeah. girl let's go you know yeah. all right i'm ready to audition and it was like that for reason in the sun it was myself and Nambi kelly in the room and it just i think it just creates a very relaxed environment for folks to walk into. That's I just felt like everybody was so relaxed. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I can't speak I can't speak as much to the colors, right? Because like I bring whiteness wherever <laughs> I go.
1: Sorry, everybody. A different kind of whiteness <laughs> though. I
2: don't know. part of me a little bit, I think, about um, you know, Susan Laurie Parks has that amazing essay, An Equation for Black Bodies on stage, that's about sort of like how blackness and whiteness exist relative mm-hmm. to each other, and like wanting yeah. to see, yeah. you know, a stage where wanting to see a picture where blackness doesn't need to exist in relation to
1: whiteness, right? It can be
2: itself, mm-hmm. and thinking about, um, like thinking to raisin's process, mm-hmm. like Nambi drew so much on her cultural heritage. That's right. So Lynn was part of that as an actor, but like mm-hmm. as an ob- as an observer to the process and sort of that. I felt like Nambi was bringing all of herself, including her cultural heritage as a black woman, mm-hmm. and that she would, she would bring the ancestors, she would invoke the ancestors in the room. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that w- it was really inspiring to me as my own artist, not because I had access or could truthfully access the, what Nambi accessed in some of it, but just to see her living wholly as herself her. and not feel like she had to participate in someone else's idea of what a director does Mm. or is. And that gave me the freedom to in my next process, which was very different from Nambi's. But I had been nervous to take some more exploratory movement work that Mm. I had experimented with in graduate school. I had been nervous to transition that into a, I'm going to do finger quotes, you can't see them, but professional process. Mm. But seeing Nambi navigate the room as her whole self gave me permission Mm. to navigate the room as the artist that I want to be mm-hmm. and to be the kind of person who like take you know it's it's the little, but like to be fully myself in a room yeah. and also to not have to invest extra energy in the performance of authority yes and I think sometimes mm-hmm. those of us who have in, in all of our various identities have not been in positions in of power authority. that we need to like perform power <laughs> and just the ability to like abnegate like that entirely just be like i don't need to sit on the tallest stool Mm -hmm. i can i can be a person with a good idea from the floor i can be a person um with a good idea who asks that as a question rather than making a statement there's this
0: tweet that i saw recently which i love which is we folks culturally we use the word professionalism or professional as a way to marginalize identities that aren't white cis dudes basically like leadership can look
1: a diversity of ways it, there's no one way to lead artistically period it doesn't have to be artistically right. there's not there's not one way to lead period i just came out of a corporate culture where the majority of the managers and the leadership were women yeah you know and, and so i mean it's even period not even artistically I, right. It's just across the board. Yeah. And I think also, I think it also creates a safe, I think we create a safe environment too where people don't feel like they have, if they're not in a position of authority, that they can't speak their mind. Right. You know, I think we have created an environment where people feel like they can share their thoughts, um, even if they're not in a position of authority, you know, because sometimes some people shrink, they become a shrinking violet yes. when when there's somebody in a position of authority and they feel like they can't speak up even though they may have the authority but the room doesn't invite that as well.
0: When there's safe space, I, I know there's a lot of folks who are like, woo, safe space, ooh, ooh, thick. millennials grow thicker space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wish that we would take that connotation away from safe space because bra- I think there's been some folks who started using brave mm-hmm. space -hmm. But I think the bottom line is when you allow artists or anyone to be in a space where vulnerability is not seen as a weakness, Mm -hmm. that's where really cool artistic risk and ideas are able to spring forth.
2: Amen. And being in process too, right? And I mean that both like within a rehearsal process but also organizationally. Mm -hmm. Like we begin with the fact that Lynn and I are both relatively new to these positions. And like, while this is a 40 year old organization, it's in this totally new building operating at right. a new level. Mm-hmm. And like, to not be afraid to say when we're talking to a new designer who hey. has worked with the court, hey, just so you know, we're working through this. And what we need from you is your sharing with us what is frustrating, what is falling short, what is amazing and we should actually keep like mm-hmm. so just acknowledging that yeah. we are still developing That's and right. making that come from a place of we hope strength I mean we want to get our stuff together right mm-hmm. but at the same time we want to admit that we're still working on it yeah. so that someone can come to us and feel like they're doing it from the spirit of generosity mm-hmm. and collaboration and not yeah. like critique
1: yeah. yeah I agree 100% mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about some of the other exciting programming that's happening,
1: y'all. Uh,
0: so, Little Shop of Horrors, which this episode will post about uh, will post about five or six days from now, but I get to see Little Shop of Horrors tonight. <laughs> My very good friend, Rakim, is Audrey too, which, shut up, I cannot wait, I cannot wait. <laughs> but what else is coming? Because it's interesting, before you were like, that moment of Colorado Springs... Because I think there are some folks who have that. I mean, I think largely it's because of focus on the family, which I was forced to listen to every week as a child and cannot remember a thing. Thank (laughs) goodness my brain for protecting me. Uh, But there is some, like, really awesome, dynamic... Freaking... I've not heard of a female... The Guthrie had a female Scrooge that only performed on, like, the less desirable showtimes. But... Oh yeah. Oh I didn't know. It that. was a convenient. whole thing. It was a whole thing. Oh um, wow. but those shows <laughs> She's hiding sold, her chicago. Those shows sold out because people are interested. Like, that's right. and so Lisa yeah. Volpe. Yeah. All the great directors that you have, what what do y'all have on tap uh, for the rest of twenty nineteen? Twenty 2019,
1: nineteen, twenty twenty. Well we hop into a new season, oh, yes. Tell me oh, all about like, it. Which is Caitlin's first and as artistic director and it's exciting it's um, it recognizes and acknowledges the legacy of theater works and Murray but it also lets us get to know who Caitlin is as an artist which I greatly appreciate <laughs> I hear some folks like comedy <laughs> that's our inside joke but it, I think she's done a very very good job of uh, letting people understand her as an artist and what motivates her and what gets her excited and what stories she wants to tell. Um, So I'll let her talk about the season because it really is hers, but I do love the fact that there's some traditional kind of legacy stuff, but there's also some things that are gonna take our audiences to a place they haven't been before with theater works, which I find thrilling. Yeah, not from a business perspective. <laughs> from, from an artistic we're perspective we're easing into it. Yeah, yeah, so fault yes, into, into it. But from a, <laughs>
0: from a professional, but I love like, this. I
1: love what's happening
0: moment. in this moment now. Right? It's sort of like that. Because mm, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of programming, we worry about when programming comes from a place of fear. Right? Mm. Like we don't want to alienate so and so. I don't think really awesome stuff can happen. I think yeah. pragmatism always, yeah. yes, yeah. especially in just selling theater tickets anywhere. Yeah. But when you invite folks to be like, yes, we have the stuff that you want, we also have some cool other stuff that <laughs> might surprise <laughs> yeah, you. Come explore with us. Yeah. So let's go on the roller what's, coaster. That's what's right. happening? That's exactly yeah. how I feel.
2: So we're, as Lynn said, we're sort of, we're honoring TheaterWorks's. History and legacy, mm-hmm. in part by a season that actually engages a lot with history. Yeah. And um, you know, the love of language Theodore has a tradition yes. of love of language and plays that audiences need to listen to mm-hmm. and the love of sort of canonical stories, mm. but then trying to give those canonical stories a bit of a twist. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're doing our summer Shakespeare at the ranch, we're doing one of the few Shakespeare plays. The theater works has yet to do, which is Measure for Measure.
0: Love that which, play. I'm gonna
2: be totally honest. That play first came to us, like brain-wise, last fall during Brett Kav- during the Kavanaugh hearings, right? Well, the
0: Angela—that's one of the CSF monologues I did, uh, and that monologue okay. that he does, "Who will believe thee?" That's Isabel. right. That's right. right. Yeah. And,
2: like, it's great because it's a play that actually, in actuality, is very complex. It's about an entire society. Mm-hmm. But that central question of when a person who moves through society as a man and a person who moves through society as a woman, when their voices are weighed against each mm. other, who is the person who is going to be believed? Right. It's like a question that's very mm-hmm. important now. And to say now, to be like, oh, that was a thing that we were thinking about in the fall. Yeah. And then to have the news coming out of Alabama yesterday oh, in right. terms of, like, you know, the, what we do with the reproductive, yes, you right. know, people's control over women's reproductive bodies. body, you know, and, and any, bodies, you know, the bodies, the bodies of anyone who's able to carry children. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Anybody. Anybody. And so, like, so that, this idea of, like, these conversations now feels really, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So summer, and that summer. carries us through the summer. And
2: then we come back to the end center, and we're doing Katori Hall's The Mountaintop. Mm-hmm. It's yes. The story of the last night of Dr. Dr. Martin King. And that, um, Lynn had brought in Donnie Bett, the wonderful Denver-based director. Yes. And to our Square, so um, pairing Donnie with that play is really exciting. Yeah. And I think that's a really great example of like, it's a play that plays as a realistic drama until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. <laughs> and so that sense of and sort of the realism and the sense of magic, the magic that theater brings, I think yes. is also aesthetically yeah. when works is yeah. going to start to move. Yeah. And then um, this is where we're sort of easing folks in. So The Mountaintop, you know, Dr. King, and then we're following it up with Arcadia, the Tom Stoppard play, which TheaterWorks oh, has done. I love that A lot of Stoppard-like mm-hmm. plays, mm-hmm. but never actually done that play before. Yeah and so um, Septimus not his carnal embrace that's all I remember I mean I remember
0: more than that but one of the greatest ones, right and
2: so like that movement back and forth across time that engagement with the intellectual ideas with the young with the science we also you know sneaking in sneaking in some casting that will look different than other productions of Arcadia in that one as well saying that like the story is everybody's
1: that's right it
2: is it is and then we've got Around the World in 80 Days, Yay. which is this, like, turning things on its head, right? It's an adaptation of a, classic, of, of a classic novel that people are really going to know and love. It's a more contemporary adaptation by Laura Eason, so mm-hmm. that looking glass Chicago aesthetic. And then being directed um, by Lavina, who's actually directed a different adaptation of 80 Days before, and it was really important to us in looking because you know around the world in 80 days is sort of it's basically the story of like one British <laughs> one British man's journey around Britain's colonial possessions, <laughs> right? So colonialism, yeah. So there are a lot of and there are parts of those of that storytelling that can be a little uh, uh, tricky. Uh, 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 sure. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm not sure that we have an audience that would notice that squeakiness mm. yet. But just because our audience might not be yet in a place to notice it doesn't mean that we shouldn't address it. Address it. Yeah, no. Exactly. Yeah, not at all. And I think the casting that Lavina that we're all that Livina and Lynn have done for that is already super exciting. Mm-hmm. And like already is sort of pointing out, this is not this is not your grandfather's. And like, then well, we're yeah, like, this is, this is the not survival. your mama's
1: baby <laughs> days. <laughs>
2: And then Gloria is actually a script that Lynn proposed yeah. for the season. I had seen it in Chicago, mm-hmm. but, and these are the two, the spring is where we start to get into the, like, Lynn has her show that she's like, we each have our show where I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. I'm going to throw it. see what lands. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so Brandon Jacob Jenkins is Gloria, which Denver folks, would have seen maybe at Curious. It
0: slaps you upside the head, boom, in the best dramatic way. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. So highly
0: recommend if folks didn't see it at Curious, or even if you did, like come up here and see a different, yeah, come see a different, different cast, cast yeah. different take on it. Yeah. It's a really important play. It is.
2: This? Yes.
0: Without it's a yes. play that's really hard to talk about. Yeah, it is because you want folks to have that impact of not necessarily knowing the arc of it
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and it's tricky because some of the things that in another community might be hard Mm -hmm. like in our community like there's really there's really strong language in the play like there's a lot of swearing Mm -hmm. yes and like that i think it's gonna actually be interesting how we like navigate our older strong language our older audience who like that that can be a, a place where they disengage from what I hear. So, like, how we navigate them through that part of the play and then so they're open to, then, the other parts of the play. And so, like, but it's about really important, necessary things. Yes, yes. It's it is just, very much so. Super exciting. And then we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to gentle it a little bit. We're doing a, an Iliad, which is a one actor, one musician adaptation of the Iliad wow and that's Mm -hmm. gonna be somewhere off-site so we're gonna do a in somewhere in the community amazing performance of that and we've got a director from campus max um is directing that and he's asked a professor of music here anthony tan to direct it and to sorry compose the music and anthony's wife
1: jane is going to play the cello so it's, gonna it's gonna be really, this, like, yeah, really fabulous piece. Glorious
0: Super unique. Like I have not, yes, yeah, I've not heard of anything oh, like yeah. that. And yeah. so it's
2: awesome when things can be local mm-hmm. too, and they can yes. have that feeling of like only made here. Yeah. And then the last show of the season is maybe the one that, like, if Gloria is the one that makes me clutch my pearls a little bit, I think Passion Play is the one that makes Lynn clutch
0: her pearls a little bit. Not that I either of us are wearing
1: it. pearls. I love it's, it. I love it. But it's like,
0: whoo! Right. No, so Sarah Rule, yeah, we read, we had to read it for mm-hmm. our uh, on-stage studies class. Oh, really? And it's really... God, it's a great show. It's really interesting, the intersections of, you know, like, what these stories that we tell with Jesus and Mary and then intersecting with... How does that intersect? Through time. Yeah. Through three different, very distinct times and through veterans and war and family relationships and sibling rivalry.
1: And I I loved Caitlin's description of, like, what would it be like to tell you the same person year... After year. After year. year After year. And you just... You want to stop playing yes that person yes you know and god isn't that what people sometimes struggle with with their own identity yes. god i'm playing really the same person the yes. same expectation what is expected me as a mother i want to change i want to change the role i have in life and so many and so hopefully people will see that part of themselves in the show and get past the Jesus Mary. I mean, it's so part. It's so part of but it, as someone it, but who's it's so much right. deeper than but that. But as
0: someone who grew up in the church, I feel like Sarah Rule, like, is very reverent Gosh, about yeah. the story throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, it. She interrogates it in and yeah. the different ways and different spaces in which it's portrayed. The one thing I found so interesting in in the class is there's this. I, I'm not going to remember the town, but there's this town in Europe. That does the play, like every Oh, in the
2: second part, Obergamoral? Yes. Yes. yes, 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 yes.
0: Thank you for saying that. No worries. But like they still do it. and it's so specific, like you have to be born there, mm-hmm. born or live there for a certain period of time. There are there are folks who can carry children who specifically decide not to have children so they could be Continue. considered for certain roles. It's I've not seen a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm, yeah like this yeah when
2: you go back in the historical record like you look at the list because in the plot of that second part the young man at the center his father has been playing Mm this role and And that if you look at the historical record it's like the last name of the actor playing jesus just travels down through the generations
1: i Oh yeah, it's like mind blowing. It's like yeah. an expectation yes. of who you are supposed. You're defined by that, mm. you know, and that's what I love about that show. Yeah,
2: and it's interesting. Even as you're describing, it, I'm thinking about because, like, we talked a little bit about that, like Colorado Springs thing that people yes. have from outside, and this also feels like, in addition to a community mm. that has a very specific relationship to faith, and we've been talking to faith le- faith leaders in the community to try and figure out how to. You know, really approach this play from the inside, respectfully engage with people yeah. for yes. whom faith is an important part of their lives. Yes, but it's also like Colorado Springs has a little bit of this. It. It, it's like it it Colorado has it's like Springs see. has a way that it's seen mm-hmm. and like a role that people that... Folks really from the right. outside assign it and assume that it works and assume what it's like. Yeah, and so it's a little bit like I don't know. Colorado Springs has been that's playing a great, Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's a
1: great <laughs> analogy. It's a really, because uh, ex, as we yes. talk to these yeah. designers and actors for about of town, are they like? They're like. So tell me about Colorado Springs. Like, what's the culture? And what's, and what they yeah. do is they yeah. Google Colorado Springs, and the first thing that comes up is Amendment Two from 1992 when. Um, basically, the the city accidentally voted to discriminate against the LGBT community in renting apartments and renting leasing commercial space. Wow! the The city voted against it, but the way it was worded was very confusing, confusing. which is why I went to the Supreme Court and was ultimately overturned because the wow. wording was misleading. In the, I voted from New York on an absentee ballot. I was so passionate about this. Yes, and so. Even though people stopped listening at they passed this amendment that discriminates against LGBT, the story stops there about Flower Springs. It's like, no, the majority of people didn't want that. But then you throw in the focus on the family aspect, which mm-hmm. was coming to a height in 1992. Absolutely. And I just try and tell people, I'm like, it is not the same town it was yeah. 25 years ago. That was 25 right? years ago. Are you the same person you were 25 exactly. years ago? And I'm like, and some people have used to leave. Mm-hmm. Now they're digging their heels in because they're like, I'm going to make this my community too. If I run, then those folks win. Yeah, yeah. I'm digging my heels in because this is my home too. And I was talking to a pastor
2: about this play, and he was sharing with me that actually 40% of the people who live in Colorado Springs mm-hmm. identify as not religious. Yes. So, Which is actually wow. a higher percentage than Denver. More people in Colorado Springs specifically identify right. as not religious than in other major cities that don't have, because the thing is it's become because of the history that Lynn's talking about it seems like it's become this polarizing thing where it's like people identify very strongly in this way or people identify very strongly that they are not that mm-hmm. and that sort of like middle ground which totally exists yeah like I went I went to a, I went for research purposes to like a church service this mm. last weekend mm-hmm. and like a to- I went to a radical <laughs> I went to like a radical um, immigration here a radical immigration lecture followed by a church service with a sermon entitled Was Jesus a Racist? Mm-hmm. And like in Colorado Springs yeah. at like a mainstream beautiful old stone church that was built in like the end of the 19th century Right. This is not and the. That's fringe. the sermon. This is this is not. <laughs> wow. the, this is the new Colorado. This is Colorado Springs as it's evolving.
0: Colorado Springs
1: 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're and, and but people don't know that part because they Google it. Right. And that's real unfortunate that that's what's going to come up, um, is Amendment Two, and they stop and they don't read the story, and it's like, this is not that Colorado Springs. Absolutely. Any more
0: at all especially with the work y'all are doing here with theater work so what's the best place for folks to get information tickets Mm -hmm. learn more about your company and plan their trip Mm -hmm. to come here
1: uh you can go to the website Chunk full of information and we would love for people to get more information um, about what else? What other programming is going on besides just our productions? Because we do talk and we do conversations and, and free for all and free for all Shakespeare so programs. I, I recommend I w- recommend the website so they can kind of browse through what's awesome. going no, on. they'll definitely and link to that. In the yeah, theaterworkscs.org. And I I think that's the best way. And you'll also have an opportunity to see about all the programming in the building, which is even better. We have a great presenting artist series. We have our gallery of contemporary art. So start there and then just keep exploring the M Center as a whole, because you'll find something, I'm sure.
0: Before we get to the, not serious, but the the parting words of advice (laughs) question, what, can y'all, like, if, if someone's coming up here from out of town, they're making a day of it, just in terms of you, y'all personally curating, like, you have a Saturday. At the end of the day, you're gonna come see a show here at the Ent Center, but you're gonna get up here, let's say, around 12 or 1 o'clock from Denver, from Boulder. How do you curate this day for
1: y'all? Uh, I would say first off, you need to stop at Garden of the Gods Park and take a walk through the park. If it's a beautiful, not windy day, head down to the zoo because it is up in the mountain. That's why it's called the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. But if it's windy, it gets chilly up there. Okay. So bring layers. Um, it's really, it's a, good, it, it, it's a good hike, too. It's a good workout to walk through the, uh, the zoo.
2: And then you should swing through old Colorado City, which is like a little bit, a little bit touristy, wild it west, is. like silver buckle belt, but fun to see. And they have this amazing, um, I was just checking, pupuseria in mm. a parking lot <laughs> right behind the main street. So I was looking, it's called, I was using my phone, Monse's Taste of El Salvador Papucería is so good. I'm like
1: pupusas who doesn't love pupusas yeah and if you don't like pupusas (laughs) there's a great ethiopian restaurant called Uchena that i highly recommend if you like curry go to Uchena. it's fabulous um so those are some good places to eat. There's a great university village center is across the street from the end center, so there's tons of places that you can eat there. But I suggest you find the mom and pop places. Go see go to Lucky Dumpling by Brother Luck, who was on Top Chef Denver.
2: Stop off at Lady Fingers Letter Press yes. to pick us some like super exciting
0: super
1: greeting cards. Greeting cards. The yes. yes. best yes. greeting cards ever. So
0: yeah.
2: Um, say that. Say that place again. Ladyfingers Letterpress. Okay, it's on the view across from
1: Acacia Park, and of The Winds is amazing. a good place to go. They have a ride that drops you off the side of the the, the cliff. So there's a lot. So you have sold me. I'm take. moving to Colorado Springs. I love this place. <laughs> I love Denver, but man, the mountains right there where it's not yes. like that in Denver. Yes. yes. Yeah.
0: So I like to. And since our time together is, is, is coming to a close, um, if there are folks listening who want to do the kind of artistic work that y'all are doing, what advice do you have to offer them?
1: Ooh. Huh. I, it's hard for me because, I mean, I did not choose this as right. a career path. Um, you know, it was kind of an aspiration. Like, if somebody's like, what's your dream job? I'm like probably arts admin, anything I could be working in theater because of my acting background. But it was just like, it's not going to come to fruition. But um, don't be afraid to take the opportunity to, to learn. You know, don't don't be afraid of a career change because I could have very well said to, to Drew, like, I want to keep making the money I was making in corporate America. No, I'm going to go find another job. I don't know anything about running a theater. No, I don't want to do it. Right. You know, I'll support you, but I don't want to do it. But because I was just like, wow, here's an opportunity for me to get in and learn and maybe turn this into a second career. So don't be afraid to hop in and learn something new would be my advice. Okay. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Caitlin, last words. Cool, I would say listening, which
2: lately I need I need to remind myself to be better at listening because I get stressed out and I forget to listen. But like my favorite professor in grad school um, someone was talking about shared language because we as artists all the time are like shared language shared language you get your people and you have a shared language and everybody's like mm, yeah shared language snap and snap mm. I, I love shared language but then like remember that a shared language is exclusionary and yes. my favorite professor Michael Rode amazing human being he was like why would we need to create a shared language if everyone just worked on learning to listen amen and so I like you can
0: mic drop yeah
2: right so just um, yeah like you know people find their people but also how do you make sure that you're always open to new people mm-hmm. and I should make that a first person how do I make sure that I'm always open to new people
0: oh I My love it so much thank you both so much for coming on the podcast thanks for asking us that yeah a fantastic. treat